Welcome to the Warriors of Education podcast, bringing you heartwarming and real conversations with teachers on the front line of education from across the country. I am Karen Sarah Watson, and I am a teacher. This podcast is for those who want to better understand the experiences of today's teachers. Come join us. Welcome to the Warriors of Education podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have Aixa Rodriguez and Gia Lee on here, both teachers, both activists. So Aixa, let's start with you. Tell me about yourself. Um, first of all, I do wanna say with Aixa, she's in my film, uh, Warriors of Education, and you can catch her there. So hopefully we'll have a release on that so you can catch her. Anyway, Aixa, tell us about yourself. Um, so I am an educator, I'm an ESL teacher, um, or ENL, whatever label they want to say, essentially, my kids are immigrants and they're learning English as a second language, third language, fourth language, um, <laughs> whatever it is, the situation, English is brand new. Many of them have a, have a history of, of being born outside of the country and coming here maybe young or maybe in their teens. I teach high school, so I do get a lot of kids who got here from eighth grade on or, you know, um, so uh, I have a small little group on Facebook that keeps people aware about what's happening in education issues around the country. It's called Bronx Educators United for Justice. This year I served on the steering committee for MORE, the Movement of Rank and File Educators, which is a social justice caucus of the United Federation of Teachers, which is the union for New York City teachers. Um, I have been part of its internal working group on health justice and uh, recently moved back to the Bronx and to the city. So I'm now seeing what my kids were seeing. When I first moved in, I was hearing all the ambulances, I was hearing all the sirens, I was hearing all the stuff, which when I was living upstate at Peekskill, I didn't have that experience. I didn't know the intensity of what my students were living through. Um, so that's where I'm at right now, back to the Bronx. But I'm cool. here with visiting mommy right now. <laughs> awesome, I was gonna say, is that your new apartment? But that's, that's your- Oh no, I'll give you a tour soon when I get it. All right, we'll, do, we'll, do, we'll do a live one, excellent. All right, cool, Gia, tell us about yourself. Hi everyone, I'm Gia Lee, a special education teacher at the Earth School in the East Village, that's District 1, um, and I'm a member of the Movement of Rank and File Educators, as well as NYC Opt Out and uh, Black Lives Matter at Schools NYC. Um, we're also more, um, for folks who don't know, as part of a national network of caucuses and teachers or educators unions um, across the nation. Beautiful. Um, and a lot of our insights are coming from this coordinated effort. I'm also a parent of a 16-year-old <laughs> in the system also. Cool. Got a couple of the hats on. Yeah, you have a lot of Thanks hats. For yeah, well, first of all, I really admire both of you. I've been, you know, following your posts and your work for so long. So this is truly an honor for me to have you guys on the podcast with me. And you are exactly the type of people that I want to have this conversation with about what is going on with reopening of schools. So what is happening right now? Where are we with, with reopening? And where do you guys stand on this? We'll start with Gia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'll just let you know that I've been on probably a dozen phone calls this week um, at the national level with the Rank and File Educators Networks, um, a couple of them, as well as locally. So there's a statewide group of us and, um, you know, the Alliance for Quality Education, uh, NYC Kids Pack. These are both um, kind of grassroots organizing 
groups that um, formed at, from parents and the necessities um, of trying to catapult their voices in a place where you know we have mayoral control. Um, and then within the health justice group that started within Moore and others. And what we're finding out is um, we have, an, you know, saying very explicitly is there's a complete lack of leadership, not just at the local level, but at every single level. Yep. Um, the question keeps coming up. Where are the phases for this? And compound that with the fact that there's zero trust in the Department of Education from before this pandemic, right? Um, there has been no trust to fully fund our schools to prepare us. We're dealing with um, a system that was already uh, broken. So to tell us from top down that um, trust us where we've got everything ready, just have to choose from these um, two models for blended learning and you guys will figure out the details is completely ludicrous. And I want to add the mayor's um, advisory council for the reopening of schools was handpicked without a single educator, <laughs> a public school teacher or a parent on there. I think they had one administrator. Do um, they have any medical people? Because I don't recall that. No either. health professionals. Oh my God. Not a single wow. health professional. So you have, um, but if you do look at the list, there's lots of, uh, you know, charter people, um, hedge fund, uh, charity organizations that say they care about education, but nobody actually understands the granular aspects of what goes on in a school building on the day-to-day. -day. So of course, all the questions um, that were brought up by our allies who are also handpicked in the group have said it's been tremendously a failure um, of leadership within that group. Um, no one's asking or being able to answer the questions of, okay, you have teachers who are also parents. So if you're telling them they have to do this blended learning, their children are gonna be home for a couple days a week or more. Um, who's home with them? No one could answer that question. No one could answer the questions about um, having a, you know, the ability to fill out a form if you're immune compromised to say you, they live with someone at home who's immune compromised. There's nowhere on the form to, to put that down. So um, it's just further creating this lack of trust um, and confidence that whatever plans are coming down um, are prepared. So, you know, moving forward, um, there are locals across the nation that have not waited for their Department of Education and Leadership to you know, send them a plan. They've taken on, and just like we have here, um, initiative to start the process. And with the bottom line, nothing about us without us. Stop making these decisions without our input because we're not going back until we're clear about all these questions we have. Right. So um, that's kind of you know, the, the, what I'm seeing um, and trying to capture and bring every, you know, help bring everyone together around what our next steps will be. Right. And Aisha, what's your, what are your thoughts? So just to piggyback on what, what you was being very modest about, um, UCOR connects us nationally. So we're not alone in New York City. We're learning from others and we're getting models from others who really are doing uh, the, the right thing, which is using the power of the union to make sure you protect your children that attend your schools 
and you make sure that the priority of spending is to benefit the community, it's just, you know, it's, it's collective bargaining for the common good. This is something that's happening in LA. And yeah, UCOR is a very big thing to, to have those connections nationally because we in New York have a different animal. Our experience is different and the way our schools run is different. So anything at the national level that is too generic to figure out what's going to happen in New York City. Now, the conversations that I have had with Bronx people have to do with the immunocompromised situation and the healthcare issues that have to do with Bronx kids. Now, the Bronx for a long time has had a lot of issues when it comes to asthma and other, other diseases. Um, and so people are rightly concerned about the lung-based pulmonary issues that people have. And when you go to a school that doesn't have windows, the classroom doesn't have windows, it's internal windows, everything is an HVAC system, AC right. dependent, and you can't get fresh air in there. And with all the knowledge that we're learning about how COVID is being spread, um, it doesn't matter what uh, formula they come up with of how many kids are in the room. If I can't deal with the kids coming from gym smelling in a certain way, right. you know, these kids are learning to use deodorant in junior high school and high school and teachers always complain about that. And I'm like, okay, we have trouble with basic issues. Now imagine when you have only nine kids, but it's a teacher and a co-teacher, and maybe a para, so that's not nine people. How are you gonna do with that? So people are saying, right. you, know, you don't really know what's on the ground. The parents want answers, and we have parents who have MS, parents who are disabled themselves, who held their kids home, because our students get on trains and buses. And no one wants to talk about the transit system, no one wants to talk about the facilities in these buildings that are crumbling, some of these schools are over 100 years old, no one wants to talk, no one, can you hear? No one wants to talk about, you know, the reality that the schools have been for decades neglected. And now we're seeing very, very clear, very clearly we're seeing how the neglect, the deliberate neglect of the facilities and the buildings has led to this situation where we cannot actually implement anything that the CDC is saying because the classrooms are not big enough. There's not enough ventilation. Um, in terms of sinks being broken, no hot water, all of these different things that we can't even do basic sanitation. So a lot of people are saying, listen, you're not being realistic. And they have these formulas in the blue book to say how many kids can fit in a, in a room and how much extra space is had and no one takes into consideration furniture. So what I'm hearing from teachers and admin administrators that spend a lot of money on buying all of these big tables so kids can do group learning and collaborative learning and project-based learning, that how are we supposed to do this when the CDC is saying that we're supposed to put them in rows, six feet apart, and then a lot of people are saying, well, you know, this is not gonna work because if we are, have been trained for the last 10 years to go away from the rote lecture style instruction to go to collaborative instruction, how are we supposed to do that, right? The other issue is we haven't had funding properly for how many years? So we don't have enough books, we don't have enough materials, and it's always been teachers who plug the hole. They just took all of our teachers' choice money. Right, so they took the teachers' choice that I away. Would use, yeah, I used that money. I used yeah. that money. I bought all the extra markers that the kids didn't have, all the paper that I couldn't get, the extra books that I bought. I filled that gap with that money, and sometimes extra of my own money. So the reality is, where am I gonna, what am, how am I supposed to fill the gap now? Especially now that the kids can't share. Because that was in the guidelines, too, that the kids can't share. So, you know, the bigger question is, like, what type of mental thing is this going to do to these kids where not only can they not socialize, having to be put sitting in rows, 
and teachers are not supposed to approach the children. And we're supposed to be wearing masks. My kids are English language learners. They need to see how I speak, how I pronounce. If they don't understand it, they need to, a lot of communication. I have one kid who has two hearing aids, who is, who is partially deaf, has two hearing aids. And he's also an L and he needs to see me. So there is a very big problem with how they're envisioning things. And it's not the, at the individual level. We understand that the state wants to continue the BS of testing since they canceled it this year and kind of felt some type of way. We want all these tests canceled. None of these tests matter anymore. No. We want all of that instructional time back to us. The parents want it, the kids want it, and the teachers want it. All that testing time, we want it back. And we're taking it back. We don't want this test anymore because they take weeks and weeks and weeks out of our time to prep, then to actually administer these tests, which take not one day, several days. We want all of that back because if these kids already, what they claim is behind, right? So you need to give us that instructional time. That's, that's how people are feeling, that their kids are not going to get what they need, that the environment is not being taken into consideration, that the health is not taken into consideration. And that's at the parent level. All the teachers who are parents are now feeling mistreated, that their kids don't matter, that their families don't matter, that their health don't matter. And because we've had a problem with retaining and recruiting teachers, we have some schools that are heavy with veteran teachers, right? Or on the other side, heavy with really young and inexperienced teachers. Either way, because it's not a good mix, we're going to have a problem because a lot of those young teachers are pregnant and they're leaving. The older teachers who have all these health issues, the heart conditions, diabetes, all that other stuff, they are eligible for health care accommodations. Where are you going to get the teachers from? So the big issue, real talk, and the, we, we're human beings too. And if you want us to stay and do our work, take care of us, man. Right. So how many, te how many teachers did we lose this year for, to COVID? What was it that that they admitted? Right. Gio, do you remember how the, the 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 formula of how they were counting people in schools? How they didn't include school safety agents in the number? They put the number of school safety agents who are in the buildings, meeting parents, meeting kids, meeting teachers daily. They counted them under NYPD's numbers, so it was a false number. And because they didn't do contact tracing from the Bronx when there was an outbreak. On they didn't do contact tracing, so they have no idea how many kids brought it home, and it impacted their parents and grandparents, etc. A couple of schools had teachers who anonymously were telling us lots of our kids are foster in foster care, and their grandparents are the ones who are raising them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like this right. is serious. Yeah, That's I, mean, their I, only remember, guardian. I remember when schools were, t you know, like when it first happened, they were like, we were supposed to know who had it in the building and they were supposed to let us know. But then what happened was schools were not letting us know who had it in the building. And I find out later that there, that it happened in my building, but we don't know who it was. And I, you know, I mean, knock on wood, I'm, I, you know, I, I didn't get it, but who knows how many people did. So that was then. And now we're going to go back into the classroom now. I mean, how the heck is any of this going to work? Yeah. You know, you asked the question about how many educators um, passed away, and it's around 100. And a majority of them were paraprofessionals who were all, you know, people of color. Um, and it's really unconscionable to me that even with this plan, they have no, they have not given any directives about, so what if someone comes in testing positive? That has not been mentioned once. There's no protocol. Um, and I Wait, did go- Isolation. Yeah, 
I attended the NYC Kids Pack conference, um, you know, like about a month and a half into this, when they realized that the handpicked, you know, council had zero parents and educators, um, and they offered a panel with um, health professionals. One was a, a parent, but also um, an expert in global um, uh, health and an epidemiologist. And she's a professor at NYU and has been made the lead person to handle um, whatever process they're going to do at NYU. And then there was a pediatrician and a school nurse from the Department of School Health here in New York City. And she's actually from the Bronx. Um, actually, two nurses were there. And they said, you know how you think about school and you have a nurse and you're lucky if you have the one nurse. Right. So the problem is in a pandemic, you have to think differently because you need actually a health staff in the time of a pandemic. You can't just have one nurse. God forbid you have a, a student or someone who has comes in with a fever and has to go to the nurse's office. The nurse cannot stay with that student and treat other students. There has to be a protocol. The other thing is there's a high percentage of um, contracted nurses at the DOE. And this is a big problem with the union because you know they kind of they allowed this to happen. Um, several of our school nurses are contracted with some other organization. So their training is a totally different beast. There is no consistency. And um, one thing that they found was the, the training is not adequate for those who are um, contracted. There's no accountability, so to speak, um, or process. So um, one thing I would just offer up just to kind of, you know, switch things a little bit. Imagine if our um, government was talking about doing what some other countries have done in terms of being the main focus, keeping people safe. All the money they're potentially using to provide PPE, um, do all the things they supposedly are saying they're gonna do. How much would it really cost to have um, people to stay, pay family members to stay home? This is actually being done in countries that have leadership, like real leader leadership, and people to stay home to take care of, to make sure the kids can properly, you know, do their schooling online. Um, and uh, provide adequate training on support for families on this end, because we know engagement was low, because a lot of people, we got thrown into this. Um, and engagement on this first round was low, but that, does, that experience means something else in that survey, right? In the survey to parents that the mayor is supposedly touting as a reason why we're opening. Bottom line Worst is- Worst survey ever. Right. Oh, the yeah, that's what I've heard, yeah. They don't care about health and safety. They care about business and people going back to work. Um, and it's very clear in the lack of inclusion of any of the stakeholders in the decision-making process. They were mostly uh, business people. And two, there are solutions that involve everybody kind of putting in input in terms of, let's look at the cost effectiveness of all of this because the cost is gonna be much greater if we don't do this right. Right, that's for sure. That's for sure. So, so what can we do? What can we do as teachers right now? I mean, it feels, you know, for, like I feel very helpless in this is like, what, what do we do? I mean, we, you know, 
you're raising your voice, you're, you're, you know, st starting committees on how to reopen without the mayor, but like, how do we do this when we have an idiot president, you know, like tweeting out like schools must open and we have like a, a horrendous secretary of education saying that they're going to take funding away. So we've just got that on the top. And then you've got the mayor who's like, who still is saying he's not sure if schools are going to, you know, he's, you know, that's just his control. And then you've got a governor, I'm sorry, the governor saying that. And then you've got the mayor who um, is, is like, we're definitely going back. Everybody, everything's okay. We're going back. You know, it's going to be okay. So tell me what you, like, what are you guys saying? Like, what are you, what are we going to do? Can I just yeah, say, totally. tell you that one, we have, to turn off the noise. That's number one. And secondly, focusing on what we know work well, what we know about each other. There is a call on Monday um, with the Health Justice Committee, and uh, several of our parent organizations have already done a series of forums, and they've developed. Um, what you call roadmaps, which people will be seeing soon based on the input from students and parents and educators by AQE. And that has already been sent to the Board of Regents. Um, I know that NYC Kids Pack is doing something similar. So on Monday, what we need to talk about is this campaign of escalating actions, right? starting with potentially a petition to just bridge awareness and bring everyone together. So we've invited all of these organizations and allies to kind of share what they've already done. And we're gonna plant them on this campaign mountain, right? Where we're saying, okay, we're, we're starting here and we're gonna turn up the heat and we're gonna keep saying, all right, if you don't hear us right now and you don't include us on, this, on these decision-making matters or answer any of our burning questions, then we're just gonna turn it up a notch. And the next action is gonna be this. And if it leads to a strike, it leads to a strike. I'll tell you right now, no one wants to go on strike. But if that's where we're headed, we have to do that and give every opportunity for these so-called leaders to do the right thing and bring us in and make sensible decisions together. Otherwise, we're not going anywhere. I'm not getting right. on a train that's yep. gonna be crowded. I'm not doing it. Right. I mean, it's our life. So, so it's like, I think every, I mean, teachers are scared for their lives right now. That's and, it. And I, I, and I get like, I get parents and you're a parent too. Like I get that parents are like, we can't do this anymore. You know, that you guys, you have to take the kids. Like we can't do this anymore. But, <laughs> you know, honestly, so. Okay. I would argue that those parents, that, the people who fill out surveys are the ones who are, have strong feelings about certain things. And we have to understand that about surveys. In the conversations that we have, so important. The reason why relationship building is so important is to have these conversations one-on-ones and really get a sense, yes, we all, educators included, know that in-person is way better. And we want to be with our kids. That's, there's no argument about that. However, if that is at the risk of health and safety, the conversations that I've had, parents are like, no, we don't want to risk any people's lives. 
but let's come up with solutions to help us with our kids at home then on this remote learning stuff. That's really where energy should um, be going. And none of these ideas for how to build these understandings has been brought forth by our union no. or the Department of Education. So All where is, where is the union? Forward. Yeah. Where is it? I don't know. If you look at their tweet levels, you can tell when they decide to be quiet and not discuss anything. They don't want to be controversial, so they never take a stand. They're like a wet noodle. It, it's just, no. It's, it's a big, it's a very unfortunate. It's a hot, hot mess because the reality is that parents need to be paid to stay home, period. And people who are going to do home care, like early intervention or do stuff with young kids, there's a bunch of people who are willing to do home visits and that type of thing. But the amount of people that they can cover to do therapies and that type of thing is not the same as if they were in a school environment. You know, it's, it's, it's something to be discussed with parents, especially kids with special needs. If you have therapies, if you have OTs, um, PTs coming to your home and they're willing to do that, they can't have the same caseload if they're doing home visits. They cannot. Right. So there's a lot of these things that the union should be opening their mouth about when it comes to caseloads, when it comes to, you know, mitigating risk if you want them to come to homes and give those therapies. Or if you're opening a rec center in a school like they did for the children of the first responders and you create a clinic for that local group to receive the special um, interventions that they need to receive those, but then you need to have that established well so that the parents in the community can drop their kids off for their therapies and, you know, and whatever it is that they're not, they're not involved in that level of the conversation. I don't see them really pushing in. They're not as, as, as plugged in as they should be when it comes to the options that we could do to make this work for parents, you right. know, and give them that respite care, give them those so time. But this two days on and two days off business, this hybrid thing is not going to work for parents and it's not going to work for adults. And it's definitely not going to work for children, especially the youngest, the, el the older kids, the high school kids, they're just going to shut down. Right. Completely. But having a routine for young kids, especially kids with special needs is super important. Right. And I don't see the UFT plugging in in terms of supporting our needs so we can be safe and secure or finding solutions or other options or thinking outside of the box. I don't see them doing it. It ends up being from the grassroots like us. We suggest things and then they co-opt the idea and run with it like if it was theirs. Yeah, but like where is the professional development this summer for online learning? Because I, you know, I was thinking like I'm still trying to figure it out and and I can't find professional development opportunities. Like what a great opportunity it is for the DOE, the union, for everybody to like get courses together so teachers and parents can get online for that. Where is that? They're not plugged in. I'm telling you, they're not plugged in. They got hit with a wallop and can't get up. They've fallen and they can't get up and they're not pressing that button. The button that they should be pressing is that they have members, their own UFT members who are dynamic thinkers, like who actually create things from scratch and they don't value us because we're just somebody who they can suck, you know, the, you know, money from, but they don't value our input. And that's one of the biggest problems. The parents and teachers could come together with solutions and you don't see people listening. I don't understand how you can have an advisory council. You don't got a, uh, you don't got doctors. Where's your pediatricians? Really now? It doesn't make Wait, is sense. Is this is is Bill? Did I hear that Bill Gates was the one who's 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 creating our plan? Is that I, I heard that in the beginning of summer? Is that oh, true? A while ago, right, G Gia? They had some mention about Billy Boy. I forget when. Um, said 
that they that he was going to take on the task force of Bill Gates to come up. Yeah. And I don't actually, there was so much flack from that, that I don't know where it's gone. It's gone quiet. So we right. really don't know just to what extent I will say that, um, the, the issue of I learn has come up <laughs> in different spaces all over the place. I was just very is, excited about yeah, that. I know. Tell <laughs> it. <laughs> um, and the, you know, it's a, just another platform that you know people are being pushed to use. And some teachers would argue, like, oh, okay, it's you know, it's usable, it and you know, it went offline. It went offline. It's what was supposed to be used for summer school, right? And how many students were not able to log on and lost? It was like hundreds of students who were supposed to start iLearn. And so here's the, the repercussion of that is that I'm, we know some teachers um, in Moore who are teaching summer school and suddenly have 144 students on their caseload that they're expected to teach. And I don't, I'm like, where's the union on this issue, number one? Because right. no one is, every time they try to get this fixed, it, they hit a wall. And so it, the, there's a clear lack of leadership and organization. I think there were like three um, deputy chancellors who jumped ship this summer to other more um, suburban and um, districts. Oh, the tea are, is high. This is the tea is high. Yes, we're, <laughs> they know it's a hot mess there. Um, the mayor's own internal staff are going like they're on a mutiny right now. Fly away, fly away. Because they know that this is wrong. So I'll just tell you right now that some of those people have reached out to, to us to talk about some of this stuff. Well, I'm hoping they listen. The other thing is, is that programs, like massive programs are being cut. So I got cut again. Like my, my theater programs got cut again. So I'm, oh I've just God. been accessed. And um, which is like the third time this has happened as a theater teacher. But, um, you know, so like the arts, it's, and now because of this is happening, they're making the excuse that like, this is an emergency time. We, we can't, we don't have time for the arts, which means we don't have time for like really important, like kids need something to grasp onto yes. that's fun, that they can believe in. And um, so that's just, a, yeah. I mean, that's just a whole other thing is that, that a, like programs are being cut yet uh, there's all these now extra teachers with, where no, with nowhere to go either on top of it. And that could, they could be making use of that too. There's, you know, so it is a hot mess and it is, it, it, you know, and of course it's the, it's the students that are going to suffer in the end because of the lack of, well, the lack of leadership and, and lack of a plan, lack you know, of vision. lack of vision. And I, you know, I, I'm, that's why I look up to you both so much because we need leaders like you, even though you, your voices are not being heard as much as they should, they're going to have to listen to you eventually because they ha they've, they're going to run out of options, you know? And, and so we need you. Right. And the idea is that it, it can't just be individual loudmouths, right? It has to be like a collective, like there's power in numbers. So, and I learned this early on from people in positions of power Remember, all of these structures are man-made. And once we look at people, elected officials, people who are in positions of quote-unquote power, um, those, it's a facade. 
because really the power lies here and we have to stop looking up for power and look at each other for it and stop waiting because the influences and interests are not for us. Um, it's really about the almighty dollar right now. Um, and so the more of us get together around these actions um, and be part of decision making, um, the more power we exert. We don't just you know, change things issue wise, um, but we can actually help to change structures because it's all part of white supremacy, you know, institutional racism, and we really um, have the power to dismantle that. And so, yeah, like, you know, that's another piece of this, right? The intersection right. piece right there. So yeah. what, so tell me that for the people who are listening to this podcast, what can the general public do? Like, how can people help at this point? I mean, we will, I'll, I'll post, I'll post sites and stuff, but can you guys talk a little bit about like how people can get involved? What can people do right now? To, to plug into what we're doing, teachers need to join more more and uh, get involved and start organizing their schools, talking to their friends. Um, parents have asked me for advice and what I suggested is a very old fashioned thing of comadres and compadres, which is you know close, close enough family friends that you have kids at the same age and you guys you know, combine your power to help each other with childcare, to help each other with homeschooling. And there's homeschooling networks and other groups that are, are trying to set up, I, I guess it's sort of like a freedom school, but it's not like the same, like old fashioned, like the old, old de definition, but they're taking the idea of this idea of freedom schools, which is you have a small collective of people that know each other so that they can, you know, be sure of each other's health conditions. And they conduct classes and they help each other with it when it comes to uh, actually doing the work from school. You know, if you can have like five kids at your home while the other people are working and you switch up your time and you give each other that stuff, you have informal networks of parent support. And uh, within my building where I live, there were a couple of teachers who I guess, you know, retired teachers and teachers who had nothing else to do, offered tutoring within the building for kids so people kind of knew each other you can go downstairs and they set up their living room and they did those things and those are the old-fashioned street level organizing things that anybody can do obviously take care of the health conditions that have to deal with that but when it comes to relying on each other at a community level it's something that's very organic and can be done immediately without anybody's permission just with you know consideration and respect about each other and taking precautions yeah, Go ahead, and definitely, yeah, like looking out for things like, and if you're not part of any public school, um, you know, looking out for those petitions, um, just having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people who may not fully get um, the situation and um, helping people to understand, like political education, you know, is so important. Um, writing and calling our elected officials about an ultra millionaire's tax, like um, Senator Robert Jackson 7378, which is directly, um, it's a tax bill that would literally change our tax brackets because we have a regressive tax system here in New York State where the, the richest are not paying their fair share. But this specific bill, there are other bills, but this specific bill is about changing the tax brackets and funding the foundation aid, which has been owed for over a decade, that would fully fund our schools from here on out. 
the other bills being put on are not about changing the tax brackets and would only last for a couple of years. And that's just not um, going to be not feasible. forward thinking. No, it's not forward thinking. And it, we should not be about continuing systemic inequities. Um, we should be about fixing them in this time. And if there's any time to be doing things that are radical, it's now. It's really right. now. Right. Well, um, I thank you guys so much for this conversation. I, I, I want to circle back with you when school starts again, and let's see what happens. You know, I'd love to bring let's, you guys yeah. back on. in August. Yeah. Because the timeline of, of getting in is going to, like, by the time we get into August, all of these things will have been resolved for one way or another. Right. And because uh, we'll all know when we're coming in. Like, we, some of us were not allowed to retrieve our, our like, the kids weren't allowed to retrieve stuff from their lockers, and we haven't had access to buildings. So, you know, some of us did walkthroughs if we're members of the SLT or we're a chapter leader, but not everybody had a sense of what was happening. Um, some construction has been done. So by August, my understanding is that whatever that they claim that they're doing, fixing doors, putting windows on doors so it can be seen, um, you know, doing whatever they claim to be doing, they claim to be cleaning the HVAC system, let's see. Um, and all those things, we'll have some more answers in August. So. Yeah. So let's circle back in August. So in the meantime, um, this is such vital information and I'm, I'm so happy to get this out to the world. And um, we're going to be putting this up like the next podcast is going up as you guys. So thank you so much for both of you taking your time and your busy schedules to be on with me again. Your, thank you for the work that you do. And we just, we got to stick together and That's right. Thanks, Karen. solidarity. Thanks, All right, guys. Bye. Thanks guys. All right, bye-bye. Stay in touch. This has been the Warriors of Education podcast, dedicated to all the hardworking teachers across this country. We hear you. We see you. We honor you. Thank you.